Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning, Sojourn, and Merry Christmas. We can finally say that. If you know me well enough, you know I'm a huge traditional uh, calendar and love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite holiday. And so my kids know it's a no-no in my house to talk about Christmas or sing Christmas songs before Thanksgiving. And so as soon as Friday hit, we flip the switch and uh, we everything's now Christmassy and it's okay. Uh, it's good to be back together here for a Sunday gathering after being at our retreat last weekend. Uh, most of us were there, but some of us were not. And so if you weren't, we missed you and hope you can join us next year. I think everyone would agree it was a lot of fun. It was refreshing. And believe it or not, it was amazing weather for November at the Pacific Coast. Uh, today is the start of what is traditionally known as Advent. Uh, now, Advent, if you're new to that term or not familiar with it, it's not our way of trying to be cool or trendy in any way. Um, it's actually us celebrating with the historic church where we set aside four weeks leading up to Christmas to anticipate the first coming of Jesus and to celebrate his arrival. And so that's really what these next four weeks are about. And during this month, I want us at Sojourn to join with Christians around the world where we create um, space, a space to slow down. You know, I think uh, this morning, we, I even heard Ben say, it, like, it's kind of this hustle and bustle of the season, right? We went from Thanksgiving, where we're supposed to be thankful, and roll right into, like, oh, no, I've got to get the best deal on the gift I'm going to buy my family or friends for Christmas. Um, or maybe you're like, I don't even have money to buy gifts, and now I feel this pressure to buy gifts for, for people, right? And it's kind of just, like, busy, 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 and i got to figure it out and do these things. But I want to invite us to create space to slow down to prepare our hearts, and to reflect on the fulfilled promise of Jesus coming. And as we reflect, I want you to think through how this historic event actually changes everything and frames how we live our life. Not just at Christmas time, not just for these four weeks, but all year long. Like, yes, we talk about week in and week out the uh, at Easter time, you know, we celebrate the resurrection, but we do that all year round. But really, we have to celebrate the first coming of Jesus to then celebrate uh, what happens after that. And so this should shape our lives all year round. Now, I can't remember sensing a hopelessness the way that I see it right now in our world. And I feel like I say this every single Advent season as I look back at past messages, but it's true. It seems like every single year, I don't know if it's just because I get older or if it's because of where life is, but it just seems like there's a sense of hopelessness all around us between the pandemic, increased violence in our city, ongoing racial and political unrest, riots, and so on and so forth, right? That was a new variant of, of COVID, and it's like, really, again? And so many people are left wondering, how much more can we take, right? You may even find yourself in that position where you just throw up your arms and just say, I don't know if I can take any more. I don't know if I can do this any longer, right? Now, that's not the version that most of us see when we come to a gathering like this, right? We're kind of polished, freshly showered, fresh clothes, that kind of thing, but our day in and day out daily grind, maybe that's where you have found yourself in this season. And if that is you this morning, you're actually in good company as we start this season of wondering and waiting. You maybe have found yourself feeling like an outsider. Maybe you've been around church for a while, or maybe you've been around church your whole life, or maybe you're new to church, but maybe suddenly this Christmas season, it just feels a little bit different. 
You don't feel like going through the motions that maybe you've done before. You're not so sure about the celebrations. You're not so sure about singing some of the songs that we'll sing. And you're just kind of left going, I almost feel like an outsider in a really weird way. Well, this Advent season, we are gathering around the theme, good news for the outsider. Now, we hear this, and most of us are still getting over the gluttony from the weekend. We're, we're getting over the consumerism of the weekend. Or perhaps your relationship with your family isn't the best. Perhaps you have found that you awkwardly set through a meal on Thanksgiving, or that maybe you're just in a different place in your life, and you just don't feel accepted or even like you belong anymore with those people who are around you. So if you're in the room this morning and you think, man, this describes me, then you've, you've maybe found yourself hopeless. Then you're in good company. And I would say this message is for you, regardless where you are. This, this message is for every single one of us. Because we are going to celebrate this next four weeks that good news. And when I say good news, I'm hoping that we'll lean into what this good news is. In the midst of us throwing up our hands saying, I don't know if I can do life anymore, that we'll lean into this good news of the arrival of Jesus who breaks into the ordinariness of life in the midst of our often broken and messy lives to offer us that good news. And so you might feel like you're alone. You might feel like you're isolated in what you're going through. But if you read scripture, and we're going to look at a couple characters this morning who are right there with you. They were going through their mundane, ordinary aspects of life, and they had a set of disappointments. And imagine a set of frustrations and a, a, a set of questions and wondering and not just so sure and so you're in good company, but Jesus breaks in, as we will see, and offers the good news that had been promised. And so what we'll find in the Advent story is we find an unlikely hero arriving in an unlikely place to an unlikely people. And Jesus shatters all expectations as people have longed and wondered, what will this coming Savior be like? When will this coming Savior come? And Jesus, he shatters all the expectations and he comes in a way that no one would have written. If we were writing this story, if we were coming up with a story in this room, we would be developing it in a very different way. He'd be coming as a strong, you know, riding in on a, on a chariot and, you know, taking ownership. And this is my rule and reign, not as a baby born in a manger. And I know that we can argue on the details. Was it a barn or was it something else? It doesn't really matter. He came as a baby, right? That fact we know. So I was like, is that what you come like babies or are weak and fragile. Like they need somebody to feed them. They need someone to take care of them. They need somebody to change them. And so this is how our Savior came to the world. And so during these four weeks, we're going to be looking at the first two chapters of Luke. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. We'll be in verse 5 in just a few minutes. Once again, it's Luke chapter 1, verse 5, and we'll be there just, just a couple moments. Now, maybe you've never actually thought of the arrival of Jesus, our Savior, this way. But the birth of Jesus actually comes through an unlikely birth and figure in a, a guy named John the Baptist. And so our opening message, we'll, we'll actually look at the story and uh, kind of the, the foretelling of John the Baptist coming, and we'll focus on his parents, um, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they will show us what it looks like to long for good news. And before we get into the text itself, depending on your background, depending on how long you've been in or out of church, I think many of us, and I'll put myself in this category, we come to a season like Advent, and we can think, I know it all, right? <laughs> I know the songs that Ben's going to lead us through. We only sing them during the Advent season. It would be weird to sing a Christmas song in May 
or June or July, I guess Christmas in July, we can maybe try that one one year. But it's, it's kind of weird, right? So I know the motions, I know kind of some of the lingo and the stories that we'll focus on and we look at. And so I would put, well, see, I put myself in this category, you can easily slip into this mentality of I know it all. <laughs> I know what the season's about, I know what we're going to do, I've got it all figured out. But I would say that this actually puts you in a very dangerous position. A very dangerous position to maybe miss it all together. And so I want to encourage you this season, this time around, to rid yourself of that mentality. And as we get started, I want to invite you to close your eyes this morning. Our friend Wes Hughes, if you're on a retreat, kind of let us do this. I probably won't do it so eloquently as Wes did, but I invite you to close your eyes and to take a deep breath in and to breathe out. We're going to take a quiet moment of reflection as we start this morning. I want us to leave the worries of our lives and the chaos behind. And I'm gonna pray over us. And so I'm gonna give us a few moments as you close your eyes and just take that moment of reflection. Just quiet your heart, set your heart. And my only encouragement to you in this, this moment of quietness is to be honest with God. God can handle it. Be honest with God where you're at. He already knows, but just be honest where you're at and then I'll pray and we'll get into our message. God, in the still and quiet moments of our hearts and our minds, God, may we lay ourselves bare and honest before you as we enter into this season. God, we know that good news is coming. We know that your arrival is, is coming. But God, some of us maybe have found ourselves in a season of wondering and, and waiting and longing. God, some of us may have found ourselves feeling like good news is just not good anymore. So God, may we be honest before you as we see our characters this morning get honest before you. But God, may we be reminded of your love and your pursuit after us because you do love us, because you look at us and call us your beloved children. God, we give this Advent season over to you. Speak to us. Amen. And so the main point of our message this morning is that God will always accomplish his plan for his people and we will see that today through the good news for the outsider. So we have two main points from our passage this morning. The first is we're going to see serving God through disappointments in our first couple of verses. And then the second, we will see the intrusion of hope in the final um, section of verses. And so first, we're going to see serving God through disappointments in verses 5 through 7. Pick up there. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and his name, and her name, sorry, was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now the context of our passage is taking place during a great time of oppression under Herod, where there's much tension politically. So this isn't a peaceful time. This isn't a happy time. 
This, this was a time where they were longing for deliverance. And at this point, to help us understand, which I don't think any of us can actually get our minds to this place, but at this point in history, there had been 400 years of silence from God as he had not spoken through the prophets. So 400 years Right Now, some of us might feel like, man, I'm, I'm having, uh, we picked on this in the retreat a little bit, but we're having a quiet time. We'll use the old school term, and you might think, I'm doing that daily or regularly, and I just don't feel like God is speaking to me. You know, or I'm, I'm praying, or I'm going on prayer walks, I just don't feel like God's speaking to me. But can you imagine 400 years? Like, I imagine we've all been through dry spells in here, but 400 years? I mean, none of us are 400 years old. So I just imagine the longing and the waiting on, where are you, God? And so this silence points us all the way back to Abraham where there have been promises given to Abraham of what would take place. And then we fast forward a little bit in the Old Testament, and it goes to King David, whose heart would eventually turn away from God. Then we see the heart of the people turn away from God. And here's what happens. Generation after generation after generation of people are turning away from God, and God continues to pursue them with this resounding, I love you, and God continues to pursue now, some tribes within the Christian faith like to focus on God's judgment and God's wrath, right? Kind of call those like um, hellfire brimstone preachers, where every single message is like, hey, get saved or burn, right? That, that, that's, what's good. They, they always, that's what they're always talking about. You'll see guys in downtown Portland sometimes, they'll hold these, these big flags and banners that basically say that. And I've gotten in arguments with some of those guys. Now, don't mishear me. It does talk about God's wrath and judgment in Scripture, um, in fact, it says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. I have to remind myself of that a lot, because I'll be honest. There's days when I'm driving or walking around this city, and I think, man, I want to get even, okay, in my flesh. I want to get even. This person cut me off. I'm going to cut them off. And if Andrea's riding with me, it's like, between the Holy Spirit and Andrea, somehow I get corrected in injustice, and I have to go, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But what, what do we see God doing throughout the Old Testament? We see God pursuing them generation after generation after generation as generation after generation turns away from him. God continues to go after them, not with a, a torch where he's going to burn them, but as a torch saying, I love you, and I'm providing a way for you. And so God pursues the people by sending prophet after prophet. God is speaking to them. He's telling them what is happening. He's telling them what is coming until one day we get to the prophet Malachi. And what happens? The people again don't listen to God. And they turn away from God. So God's giving them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. Right? It's like um, if you're a parent in the room, it's like you give your kids chance after chance after chance. And finally, sometimes you kind of hit that wall and you're like, okay, <laughs> no more opportunities. We have to now, you know, shift and do something different. But God continued time after time to give them opportunities. But generation after generation turned away from God. So here's what happens after the prophet Malachi. Eventually, 100 years passes, and the people have not heard from God. And then, another 100 years passes, and the people have not heard from God. And then, another 100 years passes, and the people have not heard from God. And then, another 100 years passes, and the people have not heard from God. So we get to 400 years in history where God is silent. 400 years, and the people have not heard from God. I want us to try and to get ourselves into that mentality. And maybe you're there. Maybe the season you're in, you go, that's actually not that hard. I know it hasn't been 400 years, but I feel like it has. My reality feels that way. But I want to try to put ourselves in their shoes this morning. What would it be like to not have heard from God? I imagine the mindset that people had to be 
waiting, right? They had to be kind of going like, I don't know. Like, I know, you know, I think about that first 100 years. I know they tell these stories of hearing from God and the prophets, but now it's been 100 years. You know, that's a really long time. And then the second, you know, second wave of 100, 100 years going, man, but that was 200 years ago. And then the third, that's 300 years ago. And the fourth, that's 400 years ago. I mean, I can't wait 30 seconds for my web browser to reload a web page on my phone without getting frustrated. And don't even get me started when Instagram goes down. Like, I don't know what I can do. And so can you imagine going 400 years without hearing from God? Like, what must their mentality be if they're not hearing for that long? They had to find themselves thinking, God, have you forgotten us? Is there a God at all? Were those just fables? Were those just stories? God, I know you made these promises to us way back when with Abraham and David and all the prophets, but God, now we haven't heard from you for so long. God, you said you would make things right, but now you've been silent and things look crazy and broken. And so generations after generations have passed without any word from God. This is the place where they found themselves as we enter this story. This is the place of longing as we get ready to focus on these characters in, in the opening of Luke. As it starts with 400 years of silence. And so Luke comes in, he, he starts this story, and he's going to focus on one priest named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And it records for us they were both righteous and blameless, and all the commandments, but they had no child, for Elizabeth was barren. Now, they were righteous in the sight of God, not just in appearance. So they weren't like a Pharisee where they just had their act together. They were actually, God looked at them and said, you are righteous. And it made sure to mention that their childlessness was not due to any personal sin on their part. Now, they weren't perfect, but it was implying like, hey, just because she can't have children, because she is barren, has nothing to do with the way she's living. Like she's living righteous, but she cannot have children. But it was part of God's sovereign and wise plan. Now, they intentionally mention the childlessness here. And they kind of focus in on that. And they're, they're being past childbearing age. And they're, they're pointing out a reality there. And that reality is that the story that we're about to hear, the opening of this story is pointing to the impossibility of, of, of humans being able to create this. Like doctors were like, hey, sorry, you're past the age. There's nothing we can do. Right? And I don't think they had all the treatments that we do now. Like, you're past this point. Your time is past. Your prime is past. Sorry, you can't have children. And so it kind of heightens the miraculous event that's going to take place. It's going to heighten when God speaks again on what is going to come. And then eventually where his son Jesus' birth will come through as well. And so I think we're actually meant to understand the sadness of this situation. Right? I think when we think about Christmas time, especially if you think about the secular side of Christmas, it's all like happy joy and Santa Claus and jingle bells and all these things. And I think sometimes the church can kind of bleed into that. Like, we're all supposed to come in, and it's just joy, joy, right? I can't dance, so sorry about that, guys. But, um, <laughs> but I think what we actually need to do is we need to lean into this longing and wondering and waiting and questioning and frustration and disappointment as we get into the season of Advent. So then when we get to the end of this month, we see the, 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 the arrival and the celebration that actually is to come. And so here, what Elizabeth and Zechariah are experiencing is the agony of not having kids when you want to have kids. It says they were righteous, but they were childless. And now they likely wonder, why are we childless if we are righteous? Like, God, wouldn't you want to bless us? Like, didn't we deserve and earn to have a child? And the human tendency is to do what? 
When you're in a situation, you think you deserve something or you've earned something, is you misinterpret God's approval with our blessing. Right? This is a common thing, but it's actually wrong. I think God, you know, and they, they were questioning, I'm sure, like, God declared them righteous, but they're going like, really? I don't know that we're righteous. And I imagine their friend circle, you know, whenever they were not in the room or they were maybe on the other side, they'll probably chatter a little bit like, I wonder what Elizabeth and Zechariah did. Right? You kind of got this quiet chattering going on, like, clearly they're not as righteous as they think because they don't have a child. Right? And we still do that today with things, right? Look, they're doing this and they're doing it. They think they've got their act together. And I want, I want us to try our best. I feel like ladies in the room can probably relate a little bit better, but Elizabeth specifically must have felt broken and blameless. It uses the word barren here. And barren means desert-like, dry, and lifeless. She was barren. Let's get in her mind for a moment. A natural question that people should ask or a natural question people do ask, but maybe they shouldn't ask, especially prospective grandparents, is when are you going to have children? So you see, you know, a couple gets married, and we experienced this when we first got married, and people start going, when are you going to have a child? When are you going to have a child? And it's like, I want to enjoy this season a little bit. But that's, you know, that's a natural question, maybe an inappropriate question to ask, especially the longer somebody's married, you know, and then you, get that, you might get that question. We've got family members who've gone through infertility, and it's like, don't ask that question. It's a really sensitive subject. Maybe they can't have children, but they actually want to have children. But that, that's a question that happens, is when are you going to have children? And so at first, I imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth probably responded like most of us would. Like, oh, we're waiting a bit. You know, we just got married. We're going to enjoy a little season of life. We're waiting a bit. And as I got a little bit older, I imagine it sounded more like this. Well, we're praying for children in God's timing. We're praying that God would, would give us children in his timing with his will. And then they eventually had to answer with a gut-wrenching, painful way of, we can't. We can't have children. More specifically, Elizabeth can't have children. And some of you or your family has been in this painful scenario. Imagine Elizabeth wanting to be happy at the uh, news of others being pregnant with child, maybe even faking a smile sometimes, but really just being disappointed and frustrated that she herself could not have children. At this time, thankfully it's not this way any longer, but women might still feel this way to a degree, but at this time in history, in this culture, in this context, it was considered a disgrace among the people if you could not have children. There was all kinds of stigma and shame surrounding infertility. That you are broken. There's something wrong with you. And, and this um, is kind of looked at as well, that, you, that you're not righteous before God. That this is almost God's punishment and wrath to you that you, can no longer, you can't have children for this reason. And this means that at some point they had to adjust to this reality that kids were just not a possibility for them. You know, they've kind of gotten past that age and they just have to answer like, yeah, we just, we tried our best and we really wanted children, but we just can't have them. And so this meant so much more than just the sadness of not being able to have kids at this time in history. Yes, there was the stigma and the shame and all that, but it also meant no financial security. Kids were your retirement plan at that point in history. There weren't 401ks. And so if you didn't have children, then you had no retirement plan. So you've got to be wondering, at some point in life, I'm not going to be able to take care of myself, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. They had no hope for physical provision. There's still some cultures, what they do, when we live in South Asia, if a couple got married, they would just add another room onto their house. And then they'd build another room onto their house, and then another level onto their house. And, you know, um, I'm sure my parents are going to watch this at some point, but no offense to my dad, but I think it's mutual. We wouldn't want to live in each other's house any longer. Like, I like having my own house and my own space and having a safe distance, which means I live in Oregon and they live in North Carolina. Um, that was a joke. We could live closer, but that, that they add houses. So there's physical provision. 
It also meant there would be no lasting legacy. The family name would stop. Which, once again, this doesn't sound like a big deal to us, maybe not as big of a deal, but for them it was a really big deal. That your line stops here. So maybe this morning isn't childbearing for you. But maybe there's something else in your life. Something where you've asked God to intervene time and time again, but he doesn't. Something you've cried out to God over. That maybe only God knows about this thing. But God has not delivered. God has not answered. And so that this aspect of Elizabeth's life is important for us. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to invite us all to get very, very honest before God this Advent season. I encourage you, you know, it's okay not to be okay. No perfect people are allowed at sojourn. And so this is a church where I encourage you to be honest with God. And so I would ask you this morning, how are you? Really? How are you doing? Now, if you're saying, I'm doing great, I'm doing fine, and that's June, that's, that's great. But if you're not, I invite you to be honest before God this morning. Because contrary to popular opinion, it's okay to be disappointed before God. Because God is God, and God can handle it. And so bring your whole self to God this Advent season. With all your worries, with all your doubts, with your frustrations, your disappointments. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it hasn't been the one that you had hoped it would be. I've been in those jobs before. Sometimes I'm still in that job. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> or you're in your dream job in your career, and it's a letdown. You did get the job that you wanted. You worked and went to school four years, maybe six years. You got the job. It's the dream job you've always wanted. And you're like, this isn't what I thought it would be. It's kind of disappointing. Or maybe you just can't get a job at all. Now, if that's you, I will say everyone in the city is hiring. So come to me. I'll help you with your resume. And we'll go out and hit the streets this week. I promise I'll get you a job today. I can get you one. Or maybe it's a relationship for you. Maybe you long to be married to that special someone. But that special someone just hasn't come around yet. Or maybe you're in that relationship and you sometimes wonder if you should just get out. Or maybe someone close to you has passed away this year. The pain of that loss. Whatever it may be, we could go on all day long and there's just some kind of disappointment in your life. Regardless, perhaps you found yourself this Christmas season and you're entering in, you found yourself asking, God, where are you? God, where are you? Now, being righteous and blameless, as we see with Zechariah and Elizabeth, does not guarantee a challenge-free life. I think sometimes we hear churches teach that or preach that and give all your worries to God and cast, you know, like that. Yes, do that, but that doesn't guarantee you a challenge-free and a worry-free life. I have to constantly preach that to myself. I have a pretty short fuse. Now, Dre would tell you that, and I get stressed and frustrated and worried about things that I can't change. She's like, give that to God. But I still have it. <laughs> it doesn't take it away. It just makes it sometimes a little bit easier. And I've even heard it said this way. If you serve God for what you can get, then you actually serve yourself. Okay? Let me say that again. If you serve God for what you can get, then you actually serve yourself. This is what the prosperity gospel teaches, which isn't the gospel at all. And so we live righteously as we see Zechariah and Elizabeth do, not because of what we might get from God. They didn't live righteously because they were going, okay, I'll live this way and I'll get a child. But they live this way because we get God and he is our hope. That's why we live this way. 
Not because that we think there won't be any disappointments any longer, not because we think there won't be any challenges in life. We live this way before God because we get God, and God is our hope. And so we see that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they endured this, these tests faithfully. And they're a great example to all of us. Because what is our human tendency to do if we're disappointed about something or something didn't go the way that we had hoped it would? Even if we're pursuing the Lord and crying out to God, what do a lot of us do? We get mad at God, right? And we say, I'm no longer going to do this or live this way. Now, I'm not going to go into all these stories today. I've told you some of those uh, when I came back from, from living overseas. I felt like God owed me. And I was very disappointed. I was working a job that I didn't need any degree for, and I had two master's degrees at this point, and I had lived overseas, and I was going like, God, what are you doing? Why do you have me in this place? But we see this example of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they faithfully serve God in spite of their disappointments and lack of an answer to their requests. And so my question then to you this morning as we look at their lives is, will we serve God faithfully through our disappointments? Will we serve God faithfully through our disappointments? Maybe it is children for you. Maybe it is not having a spouse. Maybe it's not ever getting that dream job. Maybe it's, 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 it's not the, the dream house or the place you want to live. Maybe it's not the church you dreamed of planting. Will you continue to faithfully serve God through the disappointments of life? Will God mean more to us than all those things, though we receive none of them? I know the church answer. I know the right answer. But once again, I want us to be honest before God and lay ourselves bare like on an operating table to be honest before him today. And so sojourn, Advent for us is an invitation not to fake it. Advent is an invitation to be real before our Savior. Our second thing that we see in this passage is the intrusion of hope. Pick up verse 8. It says, now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so this set of verses zeroes in on Zechariah, the priest. His division had been called up into the temple in Jerusalem to serve the rotation as priest. Now this only happened twice a year, so it wasn't like a weekly occurrence. So two times in the year this would happen. But this time, something very special happened in the life of Zechariah. God worked it out providentially to extend the invitation uh, of this privilege that would only come once in a lifetime to a priest, where he was the one who actually got to go in and burn the incense. We hear that and think like, oh, is that kind of like setting up here on the weekends and brewing some coffee? Like, no, once in a lifetime, a priest would get this opportunity, if at all. And so he had this opportunity... And he got the honor of going in before the presence of God, and he burned the incense during the sacrifice. Pick up verse 11. So he goes into the temple. Let's try to imagine this. He's burning the incense, and it says, There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. So here he is. There's this kind of focused season of worship. And all of a sudden, an angel appeared next to him on the right side of the altar of incense. Now, angels, as we see in Scripture, are glorious creatures. They're majestic. They're awesome. And often, two things happen when angels appear in Scripture. First, angels are mistaken for God himself because there's this, this uh, glorious and you know, angelic, <laughs> where the term comes from, beings. And they think, this is God. And then the second is they're often overcome with fear, which is Zechariah's experience. Now, my preparation this week is a total side note. 
Um, sometimes you'll hear different groups and say, oh, we have these angelic visitations or this angel visits me all the time. And this, this guy pointed out, the reason I re don't really believe those, and I kind of lean this way as well, he said, because those people are always really happy. Like I saw an angel and I got, there was gold dust and gold teeth and all. And it's like, when we see angels appear in scripture, what is their response? Fear. Like, oh my goodness, this, I think everyone thinks it's a death angel. Like, the angel's here to kill me or to take me, take me you know, one way or the other. That's not what we hear oftentimes in modern day. Right? So when someone says, I saw an angel and I fell on the floor because I was so scared to death, then I might actually believe it. Totally random side note. But we see that angels are often messengers. May angels show up to deliver a message. And so let's look at verse 13 and 14, what the angel delivers. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Once again, he knew he was going to be afraid. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And so the specific content of Zechariah's prayer is not given to us, but it would have most likely included two petitions. Zechariah would have been interceding on behalf of Israel. Once again, remember, Israel was at a, a, a place of longing. This was not a peaceful time. And so he's probably interceding on, on behalf of the nation of Israel. And he also likely raised a second petition for a child. Right? Why not? You've prayed it all these years before. You get the opportunity. There's an angel and you've got this once in a life opportunity. Like, this is the moment, right? So we all should have that prayer in mind. If you get that opportunity, you have that prayer and say, I'm going to go ahead and ask. Because this is like, you know, it's like your Hail Mary. You're on the football field. You're just like, we got no chance of winning and getting this, but I'm going to throw it and see what happens. So that would have most likely been what he prayed. Now think about Zechariah. Him and Elizabeth, for hundreds, and, I mean, not for hundreds, for, for years would have prayed hundreds of times for a child. Please deliver us. Please deliver my wife from this feeling of barrenness and brokenness and shame that, that comes with it. And now, at last, the answer has come. R.H. Stein, his commentary, says that these verses speak more of John the Baptist as the forerunner than to the Messiah's coming. It appears in light of verse 7 and the latter part of this verse that Luke expected his readers to assume the content of this prayer involves the birth of a child. This prayer will be answered, but in a richer sense than Zechariah and Elizabeth ever dreamed. No doubt, Zechariah and Elizabeth, as devout Israelites, also prayed for the coming redemption of Israel. Both these prayers were to be answered in the same event because their son would prepare the way for the Messiah. And so the angel comes to him, and the angel says, Do not fear, your wife is going to get pregnant. You are going to have a child, and you shall name the child John, which means Yahweh, which um, has been gracious. And so it was noted because Luke's readers would have already known the role of John the Baptist. They would have known the story that one was to come before the Savior, Jesus, would have come. And so here it is now. It's being uh, delivered to him that this baby will come. His name will be John, and he'll be the precursor to the Savior, Jesus, coming. And so just as Jesus' birth would bring joy, so did John's. And this, this joy was that the arrival of the Messianic age was now coming. And so once again, 400 years of silence. So this was much bigger than, like, we, we always have to individualize it. So if, if Zechariah was a good American, he would have individualized this. Like, I got this opportunity, and now God's going to give me the blessing of a child. Amen. Let me go home and share it with my wife, and we'll share it with everyone. We're happy. But no, it's much more than that. This is the arrival of the Messianic age for all people, for all time. Looking back at those 400 years of silence, what this means is God is now going to speak again, and he's going to use the baby of Zechariah and Elizabeth to do so, a couple who was past the age of having children, who was barren, who will now have a child. And so really we see two miraculous births. No, she was not a virgin, but we see two miraculous births that take place at the Christmas story. And the joy here is a direct result to the birth to come. 
that the birth meant here is the, the coming onto the scene of the Messiah's forerunner. And so he brought this joyful announcement that is now told for generation after generation after generation because God once again has spoken. And finally in verses 16 and 17, it says, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So we see this word turn is used twice in these last two verses to describe a change in direction. It's often the sense of, of, of conversion because John will go before him, Jesus, to prepare the way to, for, so people can turn back towards God. It's all those generations that turned away from God and that entered the silence of the 400 years that now I'm speaking, now I'm providing a way so that you can turn back to God. This is the child who would turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, the ones who had turned away from him. And so we see that this is the intrusion of hope, that Jesus is going to come through this line, through this miraculous coming of John the Baptist, the precursor to the announcement of the world for the birth to come in Jesus. And so in Jesus' day, most Jews believed that for more than 400 years, the Holy Spirit had not been active in Israel. That would have been the, the mentality, because once again, there have been no prophets since Malachi. But now, once again, what we see here is that God visits the people with the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. And so after 400 years, Luke recounts this story of, of a prophet who would be raised up and for the people to be declared the coming Messiah. That God's visit to Zechariah is, is that Luke is recording the breaking in of the Messianic age, the beginning of things that, that God had foretold for all of history among his people. And so we see this narrative in the Gospel of Luke. It begins with the announcement of the birth of John and Jesus. So the divine promise can be seen to come to their fulfillment. And we're going to see this over the next few weeks, that this is what this is entering in. And the stories are deliberately parallel in form. I think, once again, we can easily miss it. We just we skip to Jesus, which obviously we, we, Jesus is who we want to focus on, but we've got to see this parallel story first. And it shows that these saving events were initiated by the action of God as the revelation about the birth and the future role of children is made by Gabriel. It's the sign of the, the miracles that would come and would follow. And the two stories are, in, um, are tied together by the facts that their confirmatory sign for Mary is the birth of uh, Elizabeth's son, John. And it's that his superior greatness of Jesus would come after him. And that he'd come to make this announcement and so the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist awakened us in the ordinary and mundane of life, right? They were just living their mundane lives, their regular lives with the disappointments and the trials and joys and frustration, all that comes with it. And so the invitation is that Jesus breaks in, that God breaks in with this, this baby coming and makes us ask, what if the promises of God are actually true? So once again, as you get honest as we enter this season, what are some of those truths that God has said to you that you know from studying scripture that maybe you've given up on. Maybe you're just not so sure anymore. What if hopelessness is actually the doorway to the hope that we need? As they got to the end of themselves, as our culture finds us in a hopeless state that we've never found ourselves in, what if this is actually the doorway to the hope that we need? That is my hope. As people get to the end of themselves, as people in our city go, you know what, I'm just not sure anymore that we can point them to Jesus and say, one has come who's offering hope to you, that that can be the doorway to the hope that the world needs. 
God had been silent for 400 years. And what does he say when he begins to speak again? Like, what's the first thing that God says after 400 years? He picks up exactly where he had left off. God doesn't skip a beat. 400 years has gone by, and God had made promises in the Old Testament that he's now beginning to fill in the New Testament. He stays true to his word. And so that's why story, the, scripture, uh, the story of Scripture all goes together. From Genesis all the way through Revelation, it's not a bunch of chopped up stories. It's all one big, what they call meta-narrative or grand story that actually fits together. And so, yes, there have been 400 years of silence, but God picks it up right away, fulfilling his promises that he had given. And he sends John as another Elijah who will prepare the way for the coming Messiah, who will offer hope because hope is not a thing. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. God is now sending his long-awaited Savior to his people. And this includes you today. Wherever you found yourself in this holiday season, whether you feel like an insider, whether you feel like an outsider, there is good news for you today. And that God invites you in the ordinariness and mundane aspect of your own life to be honest before him because he is pursuing you. So let me pray for us and then I'm gonna lead us into our time of response this morning. God, we thank you that we can come before you and just be completely honest with you. God, there's no reason to clean up our act or to pretend we have it all together because you know our hearts, you know our minds. God, we come before you in need of you. God, we come before you hopeless without you. God, there would be nothing joyful about this season if you had remained silent and if you had not come. And so God, when we sing these songs, may we be reminded that we sing them because we have something joyful to sing about. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even if we're in a season of doubt and wonder. God, that we actually relate to those in this story. God, we give you this time of response in your name. Amen. So we're going to respond in a couple of ways. And first, let me address, uh, I guess, the, the groups of people that are present in the room. First, if there's anyone who's never embraced Jesus as their Lord and Savior, there's no better time than the Christmas season as we're reminded that Jesus has come to us. Second, there's those of us who put our faith in Christ, but maybe we lost some of that faith. Maybe we lost some of that trust in Jesus or his bride, the church, which actually go together. And so my simple invitation for you, as I've said throughout, is just get honest before God today. And third, we will finish all of us by participating in worship. And we're going to do that a couple of different ways. First, we're going to worship in song. So Ben will come back up and lead us out in a song of praise. And as he comes up, we're also going to worship through communion. So if you didn't get one of these on your way in, um, I believe Andrea has the basket with them. And so we will respond through communion for those who have trusted in Jesus. But this is a meal that he's inviting us into. And as we look to the cross of Jesus, yes, we're looking at the birth this month, but as we look to the cross of Jesus, we're reminded of what God has done for us and for the world. Remembering the low place that he took from the very beginning, being born as a baby, in a poor family. So this low place that he took, where he took on our sin, our guilt, our shame, and that our sins are now forgiven in his death and resurrection. And so as you take this, and you're reminded with the wafer that it represents Jesus' body that would go on to be broken for us on the cross. And the juice is a reminder of Jesus' blood that was spilled for us on the cross. 
And that when he came and he raised to new life, that he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave. And that we now have a right standing before God because of his sacrifice for us. And then the final way we're going to worship is through giving. Now, we have our regular tithes and offering, and we were joking about making it a Bitcoin option. We don't have that yet, but we have that. But this month, we have a special offering. It's called our Christmas Missions Offering. We do this every single year. We set a goal of $1,200. Every single penny that we bring up goes to local and global mission partners. And so we have a couple different ones. I will probably tell you more about another one next week. But one of those is a group that has, I think, close to 5,000 missionaries. And so they're, all, they're serving in some of the hardest places in the world. Hardest meaning there's more people in those areas who've never even heard the name of Jesus. Unengaged, unreached people groups all over the globe. Uh, we, we actually served with this organization at one point in time. And so they always take this huge offering that helps support those families. And so part of that offering will go to those families. And it will help uh, spread the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. And then we'll tell you about another one uh, next week. And so with that $1,200, uh, that's, that's our goal for uh, this year. You know, and I, I invite you to consider, like, how is it I give to this? How is it that I, I be sacrificial in this? God doesn't need our money. So you might go, why am I taking this up? You know, and we'll go into that maybe in a series at some point. But it's about generosity of our hearts, giving our best to God. And so this is an offering above and beyond. And so for us as a family, we haven't even discussed this yet. Maybe that means, sorry, kid, maybe it means buying you one less toy each. And that's part of where that money comes from. Or maybe it means me going to coffee shops less and making coffee at home and, um, you know, whatever it happens to be. But it, that you would pray and say, God, what is it you'd want me to do? How is it you'd want me to help support um, the missions going to the ends of the earth? Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.